the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Online at grace-bible.com, this is Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church right here in Hayward. Today, we're back in Exodus 32. Join us as we explore God's Word together. If God is to be loving, he must address the issue of sin because of what sin does to those he loves. Of course, he loves everyone, so he made a way for everyone to be saved from sin. We need only repent, confess our sin. But there are those who don't think repentance is necessary or that they're even sinners. It's an age-old problem. As we look at Exodus 32 today here on Way of Grace, Pastor Jessica Stand will show us once again the foolishness of doing things our way instead of God's way. You will turn back in your Bibles or whatever copy of God's Word you have to Exodus chapter 32. Exodus 32, as we continue in our excursion through the wilderness sojourn with the people of God. And uh, as you guys know, we have for the third time sat upon the 10th encampment of the children of Israel's journeys and journal. That's another way to put it, a journey and journal of the children of Israel on their way to the promised land. For those of you who know your Bible, you know the Old Testament and the New Testament are really a composite of one overarching theme and reality. This is what we call teleology or theology proper or biblical theology. This is a book about who? Him. Him being Jesus, him being the true and the living God, and the themes running through Scripture are lessons for our life. This is Romans chapter 15, 4. Those things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, not merely to look back, but to look now in order to look forward. And then Paul said it again in 1 Corinthians 10, we'll be there shortly. He said that they are written as examples to warn us not to engage in evil things as they did. What that means is New Testament people, New Testament Christians, New Testament churches, New Testament folk. And we've been in the era of the New Testament ever since Christ died and rose again from the dead. You and I have the uncanny capacity to do the same evils that the children of Israel did. This is why we believe that we are all equal in this sense. We are equal sinners in the sight of God. We are equally prone to evil, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, and it ought not to be taken lightly. There are consequences for our disobedience before God. There are a lot of lessons in our text today. I'm probably only going to get through a few of them, and may God give you grace to hear me. May he give you grace to hear. 
the first thing you and I want to remember is if we're going to make it through these, this crazy world, we're going to have to be able to think right, feel right, and then act right. There's no right acting where there's no right feeling, and there's no right feeling where there's no right thinking. And we don't get that out of order. This is a trifecta. It's not feel first and then think secondly. It's think first and then feel. May your feeling be advised by your rational, right, proper, and God-honoring thinking. Then you will act right. Today, there are a number of lessons I want to call your attention to. The first, I'm going to do a sort of a soliloquy right now. Give me 30 days. Give me 30 days. And I will take the people of God who swear they love God and will live for him forever. And I will induce them to sell God out for idols. Give me 30 days. And I will persuade the people of God to throw their Bibles away and manufacture gods that are not real at all. Give me 30 days and I will unhinge the people of God from the very experience that they had for which no other people on the planet ever had. And I will induce them of their own volition to fabricate a postmodern irrational fantasy of a false god and bow down and say, these be our gods. They will lead us to the promised land. Give me 30 days and I will prove that men and women that don't take God serious will not find God in the day of trouble. Give me 30 days and I'll prove to you that men and women under temptation and trial, apart from the grace of God, will abandon God out of their own emotional fears and anxieties and wants and lust and embrace a God that does not exist in order to deliver them to a place they cannot go. I'm speaking for our diabolical adversary, who obviously is behind this event, driving the whole nation of Israel to do something that is astonishing. So astonishing in the archives of the Jewish culture, they know that this was a defining event for the children of Israel in the wilderness. They know this marked out that the vast majority of the people here at this event never knew God, even though they saw everything that they did just 30 days earlier. Our title is Arise, Move, and Go. That's our theme. And that's coming out of John 15, 31. And you guys know what that's about. That's about Jesus saying to his disciples, rise up, let's go. We have a destiny, we have a purpose, we have a plan, and we have a goal. But you and I are only going to accomplish that as we pass through the trial of the cross. And on the other side of the cross, God will grant us power and grace to preach the gospel. And men and women will be brought to a saving knowledge of Christ. Arise, move, and go then is the call that all of us have as we serve God in this crazy world, trying to follow him according to his word and according to his spirit. But sometimes you and I are going to be challenged, particularly when we're sitting in an encampment and we fail to realize where we are is where God wants us to be. And sometimes we get 
fidgety and sometimes we get distracted and sometimes we're inclined to want to actually create an imperative within ourselves to arise, move, and go. Verse 1 of our text will help us understand what I'm talking about. Now, what we have here is a paradigm. This is called a model. Uh, A paradigm is a model of something that it represents. We have a paradigm of the period between the death of Christ on Friday and the resurrection of Christ on Sunday. We have a model of how easily the whole body of believers can collapse and fall away the moment that they're dealing with a visual tragedy that doesn't make sense to them. This is a picture of how all the disciples said, we go a fishing. We also have a bigger optic here, if you guys are interested in being theologically sound, of the space between the first ascension of Christ into glory and the second coming of Christ at the final time of destination. This window of which has been now 2,000 years, we saw him go up into glory, the apostles said, on a cloud. He will be coming back next time in power. Well, according to our account, these very same people saw Moses go up the mount into the glory of the living God as their mediator. But he's coming back now in condemnation as their judge. Do you have the framework? Now we got to go to work because there are a ton of lessons for you and I to learn. Just so many lessons. Lord, may my people hear the point that we make today. Point number one, the high crime of idolatry. The high crime of idolatry. Now that doesn't move us much because as you heard our elder saying, we are idol making factories. We're not moved by that. It should It should break our heart every day when we incline ourselves to creating something as a substitute for the glorious God made in the image of men and things and in our own carnal predilections and passions. We ought to feel alarmed about that. But it's so common to us to do that we're not moved by the idols that we construct in our minds and our thoughts. But the high crime of idolatry is what we got here. Now, didn't these people just hear God speak for himself just a few weeks earlier in Torah with the 10 words of God when he says, I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before. Didn't they just hear that three weeks ago in the sermon that God himself brought? You see what I meant by give me 30 days. And I can get men and women who swear they met God to then turn around and say, God is dead. This is a subtitle of our message. Moses is dead. Do you guys have that in your outline? Moses is dead. Now, for those of you who know the doctrine of mediation, Moses represents God. So to say that Moses is dead is to say that God is dead. This is Nietzschean philosophy for those of us who understand enlightenment philosophy. When Nietzsche said God is dead, he was looking around his world and recognizing that men and women were living like God doesn't exist. And I'm saying the generation I live in, they live as if Jesus is not on his throne, as if he is not the mediator of the world, and if God doesn't exist. Am I making some sense? And yet they're religious people. They go to church every week. 
See, so you can be externally religious, but practical atheist. And that's what we got going on here. I'm teaching you something for you to learn here. We're getting ready to go into the rabbit hole, so you're going to have to really hold on and learn some things because the word of the Lord is really not to be played with. The scriptures are speaking so powerful to us. The high crime of idolatry and the New Testament lays it out like this because we don't quite get the whole concept of fashioning idols. We'll talk about more of that in a moment. But Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says this about New Testament idolatry, the idolatry that has to do with you and me. Here's how Paul puts it. He says, mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. So you want to know the key for overcoming the idolatry that is emerging in your heart? It's the doctrine of mortification, which we don't like in Western culture. In Western culture, we don't want to die to nothing. We don't want to die to anything. We don't want to die to our vices. We don't want to die to our addictions. We don't want to die to our traps. We don't want, we don't want to have to suffer to be set free from our struggles. But that is the essence of the Christocentric message. The cross of Christ is the way you and I are liberated from bondages, gins, and snares. Am I making some sense? But because we don't have a cross theology in our sanctification, we're often never, ever seeing the liberty that you and I should have from the internal idols that strap us down like Samson was strapped by Delilah. Remember that? We cannot be delivered unless we understand that it's going to take a dying to that thing by the grace of God to liberate me once again to who I am in Jesus. So here's what Paul says, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. What are they, Paul? Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and what? Covetousness, which is what? That's half of the Decalogue. That's half of the Decalogue. And sum all of those up, and what that is, is really the fundamental makeup of human beings in terms of their passions. So you and I are constantly struggling with this cadre of characteristics as human beings, particularly in a world that's telling you it's all about you. Am I making some sense? And so it's important for you and I to understand that idolatry is not the old-fashioned external mechanism of some arduous labor of making some idol out of wood, hay and stubble and silver and gold and all that. That is simply an external expression of an internal reality. And I want to work that through with you today because God is teaching us some major lessons about not where Israel was, but where our whole world is today. Our whole world fits the paradigm of the rebellion and disobedience of the children of Israel against the true and the living God, particularly Western culture. Western culture knew God at one point propositionally, historically, in terms of our morals and ethics and our Judeo framework. It knew God and then it abandoned God and whosoever abandons God will be turned into what? That's where we are today. So let's look at the mechanisms because they're there. And the point number one, the high crime of idolatry. Subpoint A says a failure to do what? See God truly by faith. To see God truly by faith. Pastor, while you're saying that, do you remember just in the previous message, the title was Arise, Move, and Go, They Saw God. Do y'all remember that? 
Just a minute ago, not only did Moses see God, not only did Joshua see God, not only did the 70 elders see God, but the whole of Israel saw the glory of God. Did they not? This is Exodus 24. Look at it briefly at verse 20, uh, verse uh, 16. Notice this, Exodus 24, and the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai. That was a symbol of his presence, was it not? And the glory of the Lord abode upon, upon Mount Sinai. And the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called unto Moses out of the cloud. Remember, Moses was at the height, Joshua in the middle, the rulers lower down on the mountain, and the Israelites are on the plain. Notice the next verse. Here it is, verse 17. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mountain. What? In the eyes of the children of Israel. They saw God's symbolic presence on the top of the mountain. Did they not? They saw the rulers closer than they were. They saw Joshua at another ascent upwards and they watched Moses go up into the presence of the Lord. Were they privileged? Did they have a vision that most people don't have? Now it's time for you and I to learn how you and I can be privileged with revelation and it never changed your life. It never changes your life. Here I'm bearing record with God that they saw the glory of God. Now, can I say something? Where they were in the uh, Sinai Peninsula, they had a whole lot of room and territory. They were surrounding the mountain. Remember, there are millions of people, so they're spread out wide. But the mountain is high enough for everybody to see the cloud six days, everybody to see the fire. So everybody had a common revelation of the presence of God symbolically, did they not? Can I say something? God never moved. The cloud was still there in our account. The fire is still on top of the mountain. What happened to the mind and perception and reason and conclusions of the people who just a few weeks earlier saw God reside on the mountain in his cloud and in his fire. And now all of a sudden they're saying his servant is dead, which is the same as saying, God is dead. How do you go from seeing God to not seeing God? Isn't that a good question? Well, you go from seeing God to not seeing God when you really did not see him at all. That's the first uh, point I'm trying to lay this out for us. A failure to see God truly by what? See, without faith, it's not only impossible to please God. Don't don't ever turn that into an idle proposition. But without faith, it's impossible to see God. You've got to see God by faith. Listen, there were a lot of people who saw the God man with their physical eye, but never saw who he was with their spiritual eye. Am I making some sense? I'm here to assert that it is extremely probable and plausible that men and women can have a grand narrative manifestation of God on an intellectual level and even on a physical empirical level. But if the heart doesn't have an illumination of the revelation of God's glory deeply embedded in them as reality, just as soon as you blink, you'll lose a vision of God. 
And this is what's going on in our account. There's some lessons here. There's some lessons here I need to teach you under point number one that's going to take some time. We've got three sub points. The first is a failure to see God truly by faith. We, I've just argued this in Exodus 24, 16, and 17. Now, I can tell you Moses saw God by faith. The Hebrew writer puts it like this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 27. I'm just going to use Moses as an example. And may I say, as we look at this text, Moses becomes a model for you and I. Meaning, everyone who truly knows God is coming to him. We are coming to God by faith. God is drawing us. We are coming to whom coming as unto a precious stone. Is Jesus precious to us? Are we coming by faith to him? If we are, God is drawing us. Is that what the Bible says? No one can come to me except the Father which sent me, Jesus says, draw him. And the life of the Christian from faith to sight is coming to God. The life of the Christian from the moment that God graces you to believe on him, which is a life of faith, is coming to God. Because one day the beatific vision is what we want to see him Face to face. We have the, the, the space, our proximity between the time we were converted until the time we see him face to face to walk by what? And where we are not walking by faith, ladies and gentlemen, idols are running our life. This is what our text is teaching us. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Do you know what that means? He owned his identity in Jehovah. Even though he had all the wealth of Egypt and was poised to be the next prime minister, he rejected it because his identity was he was a Hebrew. He was a son of Abraham. He was a child of the living God. You see the battle we're fighting? Whose God is your God? This will determine your identity. Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. He was choosing rather to do what? Suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. See my point? See my point? See, everything is about a choice. This is why I said you got to think right. Then you got to feel right because your emotions are critical to motivating you to act. But you're not going to act right if you're not feeling right. And if your feeling is all jacked up, it's probably because your thinking is all jacked up. And you can never move towards God unless you're compelled to move towards God by grace with your whole heart. He, if you seek me, you shall find me when you shall seek me with all of your heart. That means I'm compelled with the totality of my being to seek God. That's what David says. Lord, you said seek me. And I, my heart says, Lord, I will seek your face. And that's why God said of David, he was a man after my own heart. Are y'all following what I'm saying? So there's some lessons here for us to learn because I want to map them onto where you and I are today. Israel is no different than you and me. Moses here is proven that God has called him. I don't believe that about the 70 that we that were with him in the mount. I don't believe that they were called. I also know that Aaron was not yet anointed because Aaron is acting a plain fool right now. There's a difference between being called and anointed, okay? You need to first be called, but you got to be anointed to come. No one's coming to God without being anointed by the spirit of the living God. You must be covered in Christ's righteousness and then compelled by grace to know that you have a standing with God to come. Men and women who don't have a real knowledge of their standing won't come. They'll come to church. 
but they won't come to God. And most of the time they won't come to church. Y'all keeping up with me? Right. This is a distinction you're about to see because there's going to be a division that goes on in a horrible judgment, isn't it? Moses then serves for us as what we should be striving for in the person of Christ. It's really absolutely astonishing. Moses is temporarily gone. And what generated this group's opinion? Why did they so quickly move into the notion that they did? Look at verse one. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, y'all see that? Now, again, being grammatically sensitive, I understand what, what the writer is saying here, and I want you to capture it. Now, when the people, and God is doing this on purpose, he's showing you how the people see things. Well, you have been listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jesse Gastand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. If you have questions or comments about the program, maybe you would like to learn more about us here at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Reach out to us by simply calling 510-886-9782, or you can visit our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Sunday services here at the church are 1030 in the morning. Friday evening is our Friday evening Bible study at 630. And man, we've got friends of the ministry from all over the Bay Area who join us for this Friday night Bible study. It is an amazing time of God's Word and sweet fellowship in Christ. 6.30 in the evening, Tuesdays, our prayer time and a short Bible study as well. These meetings, again, the directions and information of which you can find at our website, grace-bible.com, or by calling 510-886-9782. This program continues to air here on this radio station and on the World Wide Web because you partner with us financially and prayerfully. Thank you for your support. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. And you can either give on a monthly basis or it's a one-time gift. It is all tax deductible. And again, the biggest part of your partnership with us is that we get to continue ministering the gospel of grace here in the Bay Area and all over the world. Consider that as you contact us and join us again next time for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.